Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Andy J Podcast. Hi, welcome to this week's AJ Pod. How you doing? Hope you are having a good week, as good as possible in these crazy circumstances. Three amazing conversations for you on the show this week, and I, I really hope you enjoy them as much as I enjoyed having them, because they are three incredible ladies. We have from Naked Attraction, Anna Richardson, from oh, Blue Peter and Country File and various other shows, the lovely Helen Skelton. And from the TalkSport Breakfast Show and Sky Sports and Darts and various other things, uh, incredible sports presenter Laura Woods. Now, I'll just tell you a little bit about the ladies because, uh, I mean, really incredible conversations this week. Um, Anna Richardson, who you'll hear at the end, firstly, you'll know her from various TV shows, Naked Attraction being the headline event, you know, the, the mad show where contestants stand completely naked in a box and their their parts are slowly revealed while uh, uh, somebody picks who they'd like to date it's based entirely on on looks or at least that's how the show sets out to be anyway i can tell you that anna has the most hilarious anecdote about a gentleman who um had quite the reaction visually when cameras started rolling you'll hear that from the horse's mouth later because it's it's one to wait for but there is a great depth and intelligence to Anna, and I must say it was an incredible conversation with her, and I felt an, a sense of great honour uh, the way she spoke to me. It was, it was really incredible, and she's been delightful since our chat as well, which was great. The middle conversation comes from broadcasting superstar Helen Skelton. Now, not only has she hosted all kinds of shows, from News Round and Sports Round and Blue Peter on the kids' front to the Olympic swimming and... All the outdoorsy shows you can imagine, Country File, etc., etc. Now, Helen has done all of that whilst also having this incredible, incredible record on her CV of just countless Guinness World Record achievements. And these are things from the playful and jokey that you do on kids' telly through to the extreme athlete-level achievements. And I was so interested to talk to her before we started chatting. I was just going to be fascinated as to who she would be and what she would be like and what would motivate her. And I must say, she did not disappoint. So she is our second guest and absolutely lovely. And first up, we have Laura Woods. Now, Laura, I've known, we're not great friends or anything, although I, I'm incredibly proud of her. I think she's brilliant. She came on an old show of mine thousands of years ago, and I've stayed in touch with her ever since because I thought she was great then. And it has been joyful watching her ascension, her rise to stardom in the sports broadcasting world. You know, to be lead anchor for Sky Sports Football and to be hosting the Talk Sport Breakfast Show, which she does on... Uh, Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. That is seriously, seriously impressive stuff. She's that good, though. She deserves it. She's earned it. And I must say, like I say, I, I consider her to be someone that I know a bit. And it has been joyful seeing how well she's done. Our conversation, however, 
after we'd got through the congratulations stuff, turns really deep and really serious. And just like the other two ladies, there is a depth and intelligence and a drive and a determination that seeps through Laura that is admirable and incredible and brilliant. So dive in, shall we? Enjoy the show. Enjoy these three brilliant contestants. They're not contestants, they're guests. <laughs> I was thinking about Naked Attraction again. You'll find out why later. Well, I've already alluded to it, but it's it's making me giggle in my head once more. Anyway, look, enjoy the show. Thank you for your company. If you are liking what you're hearing week in, week out, please tell your friends. Let's get as many people to this show as we can. And uh, I've been trolled a bit online recently for being too nice. Now, strangely... I'm just going to address this now. Weirdly, that has got me, even though it's about being nice. It's really kind of um, it disappointed me. I'll be honest with you. That has disappointed me beyond belief because, goodness me, if you can't be nice right now, what can you be? Anyway, there we are. Mini rant, mini done. It does get to you. It does get to you. And you'll hear Laura has had some astonishing stuff to deal with. Let's jump straight in with her, shall we? And um, yeah, like I say, spread the word. Tell your friends. Here we go. The Andy J Podcast. Okay, I am so pleased to welcome to the show now a lady who wakes the nation up in the mornings. She's my favourite sports broadcaster of all time. It is the what? glorious Laura Woods. How are you doing, Laura? Oh, I'm all right. That was a hell of a build-up. I well, don't think I'm worthy of it. Thank it's you, It's factually correct. I know you've cited Gabby <laughs> Logan, and I know Gabby, I've worked with her. I think she's wonderful. I love her to bits. But yeah, you edge it. Oh, Andy, thank you. I bet you said that to all your guests. <laughs> I say that to all my guests, yeah. yeah <laughs> You're my favourite. I do that too, actually. That's a little technique that I've grown now quite accustomed to. I'm like, you're actually my favourite. That was my favourite interview to date. And then the last time was like, well, what about me last week? And I'm like, we've moved on. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't remember that one. It's, it's, <laughs> it's been and done and it's finished. Yeah. So, I mean, Laura, wow, you are pulling up trees, aren't you? What a whirlwind of, of a kind of amazing. I know you've been doing this forever, but nonetheless, the last, say, 12 months have been incredible, haven't they? Yeah, they've been amazing, really. Um, in the backdrop of what has been a really strange time um, with COVID and the world just sort of changing. Um, yeah, my life my life changed massively, actually, with that in terms of my job. Um, taking on the breakfast show, which is three mornings, three mornings a week, sharing it with Alan Brazil. Um, and I'd done a bit of breakfast before. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd been a contributor to his show for yeah. a couple of years. Um, but it does feel a, a bit different. <laughs> very different when you when you take it over you're sitting in and the big does, chair yeah yeah exactly and you, you just feel like a child sitting in an adult chair it's really weird um and it's taken me a long time to get used to it to be honest so I took over late March early uh, early April um just as lockdown literally the first day of the new show was the day of lockdown so there was no sport and um we had a big conversation about what on earth we were going to talk about because it's talk sport so it was almost it felt a little bit like a sort of um, like a Black Mirror episode for a while, if I'm <laughs> yeah. honest. But yeah. Honestly, it was it was like I was it was like someone was winding me up. They were like, "Have this job; it's the best job in the world, but you can't have any of your normal tools to do the job." Mm. Um, so it was quite hard, if I'm honest. It was really difficult. Um, it was difficult because you were trying to win over a nation that um, are so accustomed to Alan Brazil, and he's so wonderful and warm and brilliant, and. He is, he is my favourite presenter. So um, that was hard. And then doing it without your content in the way that you would normally set a show made it even more difficult. Um, and then not having your co-presenters in the same studio as you. So Ali McCoy was up in Scotland. 
Freddie Flintoff was in Manchester and I was in the studio. And there was, you know, a skeleton crew because we are, we were living through COVID, so we couldn't bring people in. Um, so, yeah, it was a really odd time. I, I'd be lying if I said I, I enjoyed it. It took a really long time to feel settled in that role. And then when sport came back, it was just such a breath of fresh air. It just felt like, oh, my God, we, we don't have to make quizzes about quizzes anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you so much relief. When you, oh, yeah. But I tell Honestly, you, what, the, yeah. the other pressure you had, Laura, was, was, you know, people were turning to you and everyone that was broadcasting for a bit of escape, for a, for a bit of yeah, companionship. Yeah. You know, everybody was stuck yeah. in, their, in their abodes, whether they lived in a house or a flat or with a garden or without or whatever. And it was just, and suddenly we were all together and before mm. the whole, you know, Dominic Cummings testing his eye thing, everyone was, <laughs> was kind of in the same boat, right? We were all pulling in the same direction. Yeah. And therefore, you know, being able to have that escape. And so you had a huge, you were a bit like Atlas having to hold up the world. You know, you had a massive, <laughs> massive responsibility there. It did feel like the more interaction, because I, what I love doing is um, bringing people into the show and making sure that they are aware that we are doing it for them. And that we see them as well. So, you know, like the texts come in, tweets come in, and you always have it in front of you, and you read what people are saying, and, and you try to interact them as much as possible. Um, and for me, it was um, because I was one of those people, I was living in a flat on my own with no garden, mm-hmm. um, and I found it really, really difficult. So my solace, actually, eventually came from that job in a way as well. So it was, it, on one sense, it, was, it really sort of um, imprisoned me because I was so, um, you know, I was just wrapping myself up in, in knots trying to um, get as, get to grips with a job that wasn't going to be the job that it is now. Um, but my solace came in the listeners and in what they were going through because we were all, like you say, going through the same thing. So I really started, I just thought, look, you've, you've got to enjoy it because if you don't enjoy it, they're not going to enjoy it either. So it, it felt really like a whole kind of um, a real team thing. And I really benefited from that interaction with um with the listeners massively yeah. um so you know it'll be one of those things that i look back on in in not even in 20 years time in in one year's time you know I'll, I'll look back at it and i'll just be like wow what on earth was going on and and, and what did we broadcast through but um yeah it definitely it, it it's bar none the most challenging time i've ever experienced in my life but okay. also it became you know in other ways one of one of the best experiences in my life did you find as well, Laura, because I, you know, I've been doing this show since the pandemic as well, which has, mm. has been chatting to celebrities about, about how they've been surviving. And it's, it's about mm. being kind of people sharing their stories. And, and one thing that has come come across so clearly for me is that people that had historically been really rather private, quite closed books, have been very keen to come on and, and just share their lives, just talk more yeah. about, about how we're all in together. And it, and it really, for me, there's been a lot more kind of access and openness from people that would ordinarily have either swerved having an interview or would have certainly have just given you the sort of standard answers and the, the kind of the chat show set, you know, this is, the, this is my yeah. bit here, this is where I tell you the funny little anecdote that you heard last week on Graham Norton or whatever. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just so much more honesty, I think. Yeah, I think people looked for company and they realised that it was a vulnerable time for everybody. So people are usually quite cautious about exposing their vulnerabilities and admitting them, especially sports stars and celebrities, because there's a, a real perception, isn't there, of, of, of these people that we pin up and we think that their lives are perfect and that they don't feel anything. And the more everybody started to be open with how they're feeling, I think it had such a massive knock-on effect. Mm. And it was almost 
really fine to not be fine. Um, and we, we incorporated it into our show as well. You know, we spoke to a lot of people. I remember having um, Tyson Fury came on and spoke at length yes, about mental that. health. Yeah, and it was, it was amazing. So, oh, my God, it was so progressive. And and it made so many people, all of our listeners, you know, it felt like the, it felt like collectively all of our listeners were just sort of silent for a minute and really, because we felt it, you know, in, in the studio, I felt like, oh, my God, I could hear a pin drop. Yeah. It was like we were hanging on his every word. And it was and it was great that it came from him because he is literally the hardest man in the world. Do you know what yes. I mean? He's like yes. this just massive guy, like um, professional boxer, heavyweight, incredible um, personality, but so positive, but has gone through the worst times and come out the other side and is happy to talk about them. So we kind of found like, if we can take that angle, it felt like we were talking about mental health a lot more and it's always been something that I've cared about and that I've had close experiences with people that I love that have been affected by it hugely um, we wanted to bring it to the forefront and, and make it as acceptable as possible and I feel like while the world is going through COVID if we have progressed in one way it has that it's been that it's been that mental health is, is now so readily talked about and and help feels like it is closer than it than it ever was before absolutely absolutely and it's it's not taboo anymore you know it's it's no it's it's okay to not be okay it's it's more than that it's it's important to talk about how you're feeling now yeah and we had you know football players coming on saying that i'm actually really struggling and i might you know i might have um a, a nice house and a gym and and are really appreciative of the fact that other people don't have those kind of things and, you know, doing open gym sessions and, and sharing parts of their life that we never would have seen before. And it was just funny. It had these amazing little quirks as well. I remember watching Sky and um, Claudia Ranieri was being interviewed on Zoom and somehow his wife accidentally flipped the camera <laughs> so that the camera was then on her and this was live on Sky Sports News. And it was just like all those little mishaps and, and quirks of time we're just funny and and it was just like a light bit of relief and you know we we'd have some all the time on on talk sport people's microphones would drop out you'd hear dogs in the background you know kids would come into the room and and it was just really fun to strip everything back and all of the you know we're taught to be super professional slick clean like no frays around the edges and now it's like actually it's warts and all and we love it and and that's one of the things i think i hope we take forward from from lockdown is that we don't actually have to be prim and proper and it's quite nice not to be. Well, and I've got to say, you know, because I, I listen to you most mornings and, and the stamp oh, that you've put on it, you have, you have, you've managed to keep the spirit of the show, but, but very clearly you have, you have now got the Laura brand very much marked on there. And, I, and it's only mm-hmm. a good thing. I really, it, it's an absolute joy to listen to because you're, you're so informed and you're so, you know, you know, there's all this stuff about, you know, your sport, of course, you know, your sport, you're in encyclopedia <laughs> and all that, but you, the human You've lived your life, you know, and you're, you're, you're yeah, open yeah. with that. And the questions you ask and the angles that you take are informed by your experiences. And I, I, I mm-hmm. love that you're sharing so much. It's so kind of bold of you and important. It's funny, actually. First of all, thank you for that. Because I, I honestly, would you sit in that chair? And um, one thing that I've always said I feel like I have, which I count as a, um, a blessing in a way, is um, a complete naivety. <laughs> so my understanding of who's listening goes out the window as soon as I sit in that seat. So weirdly, I if somebody's in the room, I'm more um, aware of that person than I am of, of however million however many millions of, of listeners we get each each day or each week. Yeah. And um, 
it, it becomes your safety net is the fact that you can't visualize. Some people can really visualize it and they, they get this grand experience. They're like, I know I'm, I'm informing the nation and it kind of feeds into their authority, if that makes sense. I feel like I do the opposite. I regress. And um, I don't mind that, actually, because I think it's a, um, a defense mechanism myself. I think I um, use it to kind of feel really relaxed. And what I've grown to do in that chair, which I couldn't do at the very beginning, when I started doing that show, I didn't feel like it was my voice because I was um, very nervous about the audience. And I almost didn't feel, I didn't feel like I was the right person for the job necessarily. Okay. Um, I think you do doubt yourself, don't you? When you get given All a big step, you think, oh, am I, am I the right person? I think everyone, um, no one really admits this, but I think everyone suffers yeah. for imposter sy- syndrome, whatever oh, their I, role, whatever job they oh do. Oh my goodness. I did so much research on that. That's so funny you mention it. I, my, one of my friends, actually, um, who is a professional in his own right, just a, a brilliant, excellent, progressive man, um, He's, I, I spoke to him, he said, how are you finding it? And I said, I'm struggling, actually. I am, I'm really struggling with it because add to all those things that you get up at 4 a.m. and it's just not normal. You know, you feel yeah. jet lagged. Um, and he, I said, I don't know if I'm the right person for the job. And he said, he sent me this link, imposter syndrome. And he said, everybody feels it. You know, it's, it's very normal. Yeah. And as soon as, I, as soon as I read through it, weirdly, it gave me the confidence I think I needed. And I was like, fine, I'm, I'm just going to go and do this my own way. And I, I can only... I can only be me. That's the only tool that I have really that I can use. Um, and the problem is with, with broadcasting is if you aren't you, they smell it like oh, it's obvious. Yeah. sharks to blood. It's so yeah. obvious. And I've heard it in other people and I've always tried to be authentic. And the great thing that radio, you'd know this, radio gives you so much mileage. Mm. You are sat in that chair and if you're nervous for the first five minutes, it's fine because you've got four hours. <laughs> you know, you're, you're very, you'll very quickly get over that and you'll forget about it. And, and now I love it and I can only do what I can do. Um, so I'm embracing it. And I think the minute you accept yourself and, and who you are, um, other people learn to do it too. So, um, yeah, it's, it's become a real joy in my life. You know, the, the early mornings aside, um, I love it. And I, I just think, God, I'm, I'm getting up. I'm going, I'm talking about sport. I'm talking not only just to, to people, I'm talking to experts about sport and I'm getting to find out their, their stories and, one of the highlights, genuinely, one of the highlights of um, recent radio is um, the FA Cup draw was done. I think it was the second round. And uh, there was a Chelsea fan that texted in and he said, guys, I don't have Sky. Um, for some reason, he didn't have, um, he couldn't watch it. So okay. I think the draw was done on BBC. Couldn't follow the draw, basically. Couldn't follow it on the internet. Literally couldn't follow it at all. And he texted us in. And we were like, no worries. Um, and we called him back and we got him on air. And we said, right, we're going to tell you who Chelsea have got. We said, Chelsea have got XXX. How do you feel about that? And he was like, oh, wow, great. And, and then the, they went through to the next round and, and um, we got him back on. And we said, have you heard the draw? And he went, no, I haven't. And we went, right, fine. Okay, you've got Luton. You've got Luton Town in the next. And he went, oh, he said, I used to be a Luton Town fan when I was younger. It was just amazing. And I can't remember what his name was. I think it might have been Graham. So we were like, right, it's the Graham Derby now, isn't it? And it was just it, like those little quirks oh. of job I, I, I love and I'll always remember little things like that so yeah it's become um, it's become a lifeline I think for me now sort of switched around <laughs> it's crazy isn't it it's, it sort of is like a national service you know <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, it's, great, great sense of responsibility are you happy to you've got some grief early doors you've got some silly silly nonsense yeah, you get, you've had some yeah. some kind of 
ignorant trolls, shall we call them? Yeah, yeah. And is, is I think... this basically just because and I'm asking the question, so please don't take it the wrong way, Laura. I'm asking mm. because I don't understand because I'm a man. Is this yes. just because you're a young, pretty woman? Is is that what it is? I think I think a lot of... Um, the, I, I've been in sport now for about 11 years, so um, I came in as a, as a runner and I never felt that. I never felt uh, that my gender ever held me back right. or or helped me as well, like either, you know, one way or the other. Um, I just was. And, and I um, I think a lot of people, when you when you come through the business like that, you learn the ropes in a, in a really organic way and a really beneficial way because, you know, everybody's individual jobs so well. Yeah. Um, so you have a real appreciation for them and an understanding that you know that this whole thing doesn't work without everybody pulling together and doing their jobs. And because you've done them, you've made the teas, you've done the running, um, you know, you've cut all the bits and bobs together, you've gone and got guests and walked them to the right place. I've done all those jobs and um, I never, ever felt anything to do with gender. It was only really when social media started to kick in and, and we got Twitter and I started noticing comments when I started doing more stuff on screen. Um, and, I was, and I've grown a new layer of skin with every step I've taken which sounds a bit sad um but you have to you kind of have to get a little bit more um protection and you have to find a way of not letting it get to you because if you process all of those comments you would never leave the house um I think I I used to be really good at it I think lockdown just really knocked me because um it was all those things I mentioned at the beginning at once um taking a new job from a from a, a position where um I am a girl, I'm a, I'm a woman, and the person who I am now job sharing with, Alan Brazil, is an institution. And when I stopped listening to him, because I was doing the show, I missed him. So I know it sounds really weird, but I, so I could understand why people would feel weird about somebody coming in and, and job sharing with, with someone like Alan Brazil. Um, so I had a lot of that kind of um, to deal with that sort of hate from people that didn't want Alan to, to go down to two days a week, which was a necessity for him. You know, he's done it for 20 years and he needs a break. He's, yeah. he's not young anymore. He can't do the five days. And, and it was all agreed and it was all happy. And within TalkSport, we were all really happy with it. So that's why you, you'd love to come out and say those things, but you, you can't fight every troll. So um, that really knocked me. There were a lot of, you know, it became a lot, very gender-based because, it's the easy thing to go to, isn't it? It's like, well, how can we criticise you? Um, you're a woman, you don't know anything about sport, get back in the kitchen. Right. Those kind of little comments, I got so used to them that they don't really hurt me anymore. Okay. It was personal stuff where, where you you know that people really want to try and um, dig you out and they and they will go really personal. So um, genuinely, now I'm, now I'm in a much more comfortable place with the show. I don't feel as vulnerable anymore. So those kind of comments don't affect me as much, but also... Um, people just get used to it and they move on <laughs> and then yeah. some of them actually enjoy it and there was one piece of advice that my boss gave me right at the beginning and I said I don't think I'm the right person for this job um, and I genuinely meant it and he said to me um, do what you've always done go and win them over and, I, and I'll and i never forget it because I have always done that I've al- that's always been my mantra if it's not working win them over um, and I do feel like I'm getting there now with it um, and I'm loving it and once you you have to win yourself over sometimes as well, I think. 
Yeah, no, I know yeah. exactly what you mean. I know exactly, and it makes it makes complete sense. And and you know the the guys that are saying stupid things to you, unfortunately, that's nothing to do with you, how you do the job, or anything. Yeah. It's it's yeah. everything to do with them. I mean, I've I've just done a TV show with a guy called Drew Pritchard who does Salvage Hunters, and mm. anytime we do anything about our show. The number of, you know, people wish for some reason, you know, there's there's a, a percentage of the public that absolutely love him. And then there's this mm-hmm. other sort of percentage of the public that just wish he has cancer, etc. And you just oh, kind of God, see that and you go, yeah. oh God, that's just hideous. Yeah. I mean, what what does it take for someone to sit in their house and wish another human being who they've never met, who they'll never know, who they'll never spend any time amongst? Yeah. How, how dare you take the time out to be so poisonous? What's what the hell do you get out of that? You know, I just don't get it. There's there's, there's another thing actually that helps me a lot in lockdown. So I I started talking to someone and um, like a, a coach, and you can get them for life or work or, okay. or something like that, and they just help you process things. And um, I found it really beneficial. My my girl was called Natalie, and I still she go now. And um, and. The one thing that we really kept coming back to really was trolls. And, and she was like, who are these people? Have you ever looked on their profiles? And they're usually anonymous, um, which right. is which says something to start with. Um, and she said, what do you think it takes for somebody to sit online all day um, basically abusing other people? And as soon as you realize it, it says a lot more about them than it does about you. Um, you then learn to not allow those feelings or whatever they're projecting to affect you in any way mm. and if you can get to that point which is easier said than done if you can get to that point you kind of take their power away um but it does i mean it, it's exacerbated because of lockdown so you have a lot more angry people that, that want to have fights and want to say something to affect your confidence um but also you know don't if you can try and find a way of not allowing that into your um remit and and not allowing their words to affect you she said that to me. She said, what you're doing is you are allowing them into your space. So don't allow them in. Like, keep the door shut and don't allow them in. Don't consider their comments. Yeah. And I'm learning that. And actually, once, once, I'd, once I got to that point, everything became a lot easier. Yes, absolutely. There's that old phrase, isn't there? Never let an arsehole rent space in your head. And it's, you know. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the landlord. <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing? There you go. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what it means. Um, Laura, can we talk about you know the, where your journey? Because you you know you've had a really interesting life. You know, you haven't just sort of done a bit of work experience and kind of grafted and and boom, you're you're there. You, your upbringing, you know, you you didn't, for example, if I'm right, again, all of this is stuff you just sort of glean from the ether. You can tell me yeah. if it's a horse uh, or not, but <laughs> but you know, like for example, you weren't a huge fan of school. You know, you got detention a fair uh, bit yeah. and didn't seem to connect with it much. Yeah, I didn't. I I liked certain parts of school, so I really liked um, English, but I didn't. I, you know, I wasn't a fan of um, science, math, all that sort of stuff. I was in and out of detention quite a lot. I didn't really. I found it quite difficult to keep focused. And um, now, like when I look back on it, I what frustrated me the most about school was that sometimes your kids have skills that aren't on the curriculum. Yeah. So like. You know, you're my. I found a, a school report basically saying that um, if I spent as much time um, knuckling down as I do, um, putting other people off and acting like the class clown, um, and um, basically just messing around, then um, I'd go really far. And um, I remember looking back at it. It was. It was. It, there were loads more words used, like um, if I didn't get myself into the trouble in the first place, all that sort of stuff. And I remember thinking, 
ironically, my life now, my job now, comes from that attitude. Yeah. So, you know, wanting to be the cast clown and wanting to make people laugh and entertain them. But at the time, there wasn't really anyone that would identify that as something good to have as kids. So I kind of think, you know, unless you're, when it was my age, unless you're an academic or sporty, and luckily I was quite sporty, and I was academic in a way, I just wasn't interested. Um, there are new ways now that you can kind of encourage kids, you know, in, in different ways. Like, God knows, when I was younger, if we look back at it now, I probably had ADHD or I probably had all these different things that, that meant that I wasn't very good at focusing, but I was creative. So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, I did find it quite hard. I found it challenging. I didn't really enjoy a lot of aspects of it. Right. I, re I enjoyed the social side and, and I loved English. So really like I had a I had a really great English teacher who kind of um kept me on a straight and narrow but I was yeah I was quite close to you know suspension I got suspended and I was always in and out of detention so you know if you look at it now like my job is is my world and I and I'm really dedicated to it which at school you probably wouldn't have been able to predict so you just have to find I think have to find something that you're passionate about yeah, it's all about your own groove, isn't it? And and you know, yeah. you you've got two. Is it older brothers? So yeah. you know, you were brought up in the, and in that environment, sort of informs a certain style and a certain vibe as well, doesn't it? You you kind of yeah. you can't be the sort of quiet, shy, retiring little one in the corner when you've got two <laughs> two big brothers to compete with, presumably. No, exactly. It's it's, it's like sink or swim, isn't it? <laughs> and you and you did become a lot more. Um, you know, those boys gained confidence. They they were it was like a rough and tumble upbringing and I loved that. And, um, there was no, nowhere to hide, you know, you're, you're thrown into everything. You're the younger one. So you've got all like the hand-me-down clothes and, and you'll do what the boys want to do. And if that's football, if that's rugby, you'll do it. And I did. And, um, you played rugby. I right? loved, yeah, I loved rugby. I was, I was always, it was great actually, because, um, we were all part of the same club. So my mum was a coach. My brothers both played and I played as well. Brilliant. And, um, I was really one of, I think there were only about two girls. Um, around the age groups that were playing, but it didn't bother me. And that, that's what I mean by I've, I've never felt like an intimidation in a male-dominated environment before because I'm used to it. I've grown up in that. And yes. and I don't find males intimidating. I find them wonderful. And I think that it, it was only really then when you get past it and you experience these things literally on social media and maybe a little bit elsewhere that you suddenly go, wow, what, this, is, this is a world that I've never experienced because my brothers were so generous and, and so was my dad and, and loving and, and they don't have a bad bone in their body. So, you know, it's a, it's a kind of completely different world. But I love that upbringing. You know, we, we, we didn't have a lot. We didn't have a lot of money. But I just don't think, I don't think we ever really missed it. Mm. I don't think you can miss what you don't have. And, you know, if, if my mum used to be, she was just the hardest working woman. And, um, she was a single parent from, I think, when I was about three or four. And um, she had three kids, um, all very young, close together. Um, she was in her early 20s. So for her, it was it was quite hard. Um, but I love that she's the one really that's kind of inspired me because I, I think about this a lot and I think, where do I get um, the ambition from? Because it can be hard and you have to keep plugging on. And it's definitely from her, you know, because she's never, she's never used anything, any setback that she's ever had. Um, has never really affected her. She's always plowed through, and I think that that definitely comes from her. But yeah, I love I love it. You know, it's a it's a different. It wasn't um, always easy, 
but it gives you really good tools from a really early age of just how to process life, really. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like one of your strongest ones is resilience. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. And do you know what I do now as well, which, which I always think is a, a really good thing, is every time I make a mistake or something like that, I, I taught myself this quite early on at Sky, um, make a mistake, learn from it, and actually be, be pleased that you made that mistake because it's never as bad as you think it is. And it will always take me a day to get over it, sometimes longer. It might take me a week if it's a really bad mistake. But then I'm grateful that I've made it because I'll never make that mistake again. Um, and it's the same with everything really in life is, is that kind of resilience. You know, if you want to be a presenter, it doesn't come easy and you're going to get setbacks. And I, I think I experienced a lot of setbacks really early on um, rather than later on. But the setbacks were so good for me because um, I was like, well, how much do you want it? You know, if this is this is one of many setbacks you're going to have. Presenting is a really fickle market to be in um, and it's not going to be easy. So I was, again, grateful for those setbacks, the people saying no, people not thinking that I could do it. I'm really stubborn and, and, and that kind of fed into it for me. So if it had come easy and, and it was on a plate, I would not have worked as hard and I genuinely don't think I would have got as far. I think that's a really, really interesting thing to hear, Laura. I've got mm. to tell you as well, you're, you're really good company. I mean, you're a good company to listen to <laughs> in the mornings, but to talk to you now as well, you know, you're so open and honest and it's very refreshing. It's, it's lovely to hear. Um, oh, I just love a natter, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know what's fun is, you know, I was kind of thinking back to the, the first time we met, I don't know, it was like four or five years ago. I can't remember now. And you, and you it came was, on, wasn't it? Yeah, it was ages ago. And you came on my old show on talk radio. And, yeah. and I can remember, it was, it, it, I, I, we managed to kind of snare you in simply because you were in the building. <laughs> you know, you, I think you were here to, to learn to read the news or something. It was, it was bizarre. Do you, know what, do you know what that was? That was, I was doing my demo for breakfast, for the breakfast show. Yeah. So I was doing the demo to do the papers on the breakfast show, which is how I got in. To the breakfast show which i now present <laughs> well, do, you know what, do you know what i knew then i genuinely this is going to sound like you know crystal ball everyone's, <laughs> everyone's you know super informed after the fact but i knew then that, that huge things were incoming for you within within the network because i remember the producer saying to me you know she's she is rated very very highly and I was like, I've been watching you on Sky. <laughs> and they were like, oh, yeah, no, no, she's rated really, really highly. And I went, well, she's clearly, she's not just going to be reading the news then, is she? Or whatever it was, <laughs> you know, you'd done a weather report or yeah. something. And I can remember you saying to me, yeah, I had to read this script. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And I just thought to myself, that's, terrible not, that's not why she's here. That's clearly not, there's no way. And that's it was, mad. Honestly, I didn't know so I knew then I didn't I didn't know it was going to end up sort of you know hosting the breakfast show in such a such a fast turnaround time which I think is brilliant but I knew that you had a huge future with the network and rightly so you know somebody had kind of spotted you from 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 afar and thought she's going to be really really good she's already good she's going to be really good and they were right I really appreciate that honestly because I I came in and one of the things I had to do for that demo was read that script read the news and I am dreadful at reading out loud. So I was like, oh, no, I can't. <laughs> I'm not going to get this job. And actually, the good thing about um, doing that is I'm now much better. Sounds funny, doesn't it? A presenter that can't read scripts. But I'm much, much better at reading scripts now because it's practice, practice, practice. Yeah. But I remember at the time leaving that building and thinking, nah, I've got it. <laughs> no, it's, it's a funny one, isn't it? But yeah, no, there, yeah. Were, there was a buzz. I mean, you know, I was there obviously for, for quite a long time and, and there was a huge buzz around. Uh, about wow. Yeah, you just knew. It was, it was obvious that, that big things were happening. <laughs> That's so, so nice. 
Yeah. Was... Who, well, I was going to say who knew. Apparently everyone but me. <laughs> yeah, literally everyone else. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from me, brilliant. <laughs> all, the, all the agents that tried to sign you up immediately, they all knew. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about, about this bloody naivety. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> but I like it. I, I don't want to change. I want to remain naive because Absolutely. then your expectations are low, aren't they? <laughs> Absolutely. I tell you what, I know you've got to go, so I don't want to kind of keep you for ages, but is it weird now... Like, have you ever tried Googling yourself? Because I, I do this sometimes, not with me, but with guests. What I like to do is see what the Google autofill is, you know? No, like, oh, do you know, I genuinely, I, I, I did it once um, when I was a bit younger and I didn't like what I found and it, I got my fingers burnt, so I won't do it now. <laughs> well, so the thing I like, rather than clicking through to the, the weird stuff, the thing I like is is with any <laughs> with any chosen celebrity, like, for example, when James May, uh, when I spoke to James May, I, I decided to do it with him whilst I was talking to him. <laughs> Just to see what, wow. the top, what the top hit is, right? And so that for him, the top hit was his James May, Brian May's brother. You know, and there's all these kind of weird, there's all these weird things. I can tell you the whole world, according to Google, is fascinated in two key things about you, Laura. Uh, one of them, your net worth, which, of course, is always fun. I mean, that's a, that's a big favourite for, uh, for a celebrity. Because I work so much. Yeah, yeah. And, and so apparently you were someone like 23 million. Well done. That was, that was a good job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're always amazing. They're amazing <laughs> sums of money that, that people think your, your net worth is. Brilliant. Uh, and the other one is, as you can imagine, it's Laura Wood's boyfriend. So there's like there's, there's this absolute fascination with who's she dating, and you know, and really, I, I, I'm not asking you who your boyfriend is. It's, it's not of no interest to me, but the world clearly wants to know everything about you, starting with you know, are you married? I mean, because there was a there was a another Laura Woods, I believe, who is actually married oh, with yeah. kids in Ireland, which is quite fun. The 41-year-old, honestly. <laughs> hey, don't this laugh at 41. Steady now. It's a good age, yeah. I promise. I, uh, no, no, it's a great age, but it's but it's not when you're not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. When you're, it's really when you're, old when you're 33. When you're, I know. When you're younger, you're like, oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, that, 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 was, that was a mix-up for a while. She was... Um, um, she's also a presenter. She's Irish, and she's married with two kids. So I'd get all sorts, you know, how are the kids? And, and <laughs> happy boy first. And I was like, oh, Brilliant. stop. Oh, it did make me laugh. But yeah, so that's the, that's the hit, is it? That's the next hit. Oh, that's God. that's a that's a big one. And I've got to say, Laura, you're looking great for 41. Well done. You know. <laughs> Don't, don't. Imagine how good I'll look when I'm 52. <laughs> <laughs> You'll look like your early 40s. <laughs> Can't wait. It's going to be great, isn't it? Uh, unless, unless, of course, you have kids, in which case you'll be like me and you'll age like a haggard tea bag. So, you oh, know. my God. <laughs> You're not selling it to me. Oh, it's great. No, it's the best thing in the world, except visually. You know, other than that, your own, your own visual perception of self is utterly obliterated. It's wonderful. Ooh. I couldn't recommend it higher. But just remove every mirror and every every camera that's near you. <laughs> Sounds great. It's all the fun. It's all the fun. Oh, okay. um, Laura, I can only assume that things are going to keep going from strength to strength. You're doing a sensational job on, I mean, you know, you haven't just got the Talk Sport Breakfast Show. There's obviously mm -hmm. a sports sky sports sports football and darts and the super six podcast and I mean, yeah, yeah. just take over the world would you <laughs> i'm trying to i'm trying to slow down a little bit um because i love it like and, and it's great and it's the same as you probably experience it doesn't really feel like work does it when you're when you're just chatting about something that you enjoy but um yeah i think i think if i've learned one thing during lockdown i think it's balance is is super important and um yeah just kind of taking a step back from it sometimes because it can be full-on it can be really intense um so yeah, I think I think for now, um, I'm just going to try and um, sit back and, and enjoy those roles and 
yeah, not not trying to kind of um, look too far into the future. I think sometimes we try and move at 100 miles an hour. So, um, yeah, I think for now, slow down, enjoy it and just, um, yeah, sit back and um, have a chat about sport. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would thoroughly endorse that, Laura. And I would also say to you, you know, speaking as a, as a fellow broadcaster, one who's a lot older that's been in the industry forever, you've made it. You are there. You're, you've, you've absolutely made it. You should now be enjoying it. You know, I wouldn't be even thinking about what's next because what's, what's now is amazing. And you could do this job forever and you would you would have made it, in my view. You're, yeah. doing, you're doing it brilliantly. And, you know, Thank you so much. Other than managing a football club, there's not really much higher to climb, you know. Yeah, he'd want to do that, eh? Two years and you're out. <laughs> well, I could help out at Newcastle, I'll tell you that much. I'd jump in there. Oh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> I want to. I'm sitting here looking at my signed Bobby Robson shirt, wishing that, you know, I could get involved somehow. Anyway, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little gripe. It is, isn't it? Laura, what a joy. Thank you so much for your company today. Thanks for talking. Oh, to you're welcome. It's been lovely to catch up. Oh, it was lovely to catch up as well. Anytime. Thank you for um, thanks for asking me. Oh, listen, I do you know what? Genuinely, you were the first name when I when I agreed to do this celebrity mm. chat show of mine, the first name I wrote down was yours. And this was like <laughs> really? nine, nine months or so ago. Yeah, so it's taken me nine months to get you. It took me four <laughs> to get Jeremy Clarkson. Nine months oh to land God. Laura Woods, who I know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm so sorry. What's that I'm all about? So <laughs> right, look, you take care. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, Andy. Take care. Enjoy your day. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 The Andy J Podcast. Do you see what I mean about Laura Woods? Isn't she brilliant? I'm so impressed with her. A great, great chat from a, a lady just on top of her game. Absolutely brilliant. Now, speaking on top of her game, Helen Skelton, I said at the start, she has achieved so much. And do you know what? I couldn't wait to talk to her. We had a little bit of a mix-up at the start. I had been sent her number with a digit in the wrong place. So we were 10 minutes late talking to each other, which is why if you hear at the very beginning, we sound slightly flustered because both of us had to try and find out how how it was that we weren't chatting and her people reached out. And anyway, we fixed it in the end. But I called France 16 times, uh, thinking she might be over there because, of course, she lived there for a while. Anyway, we did finally... Uh, get through the problem and start chatting and once we uh, once we relax into it after the whole oh we've been trying to get hold of each other once we relax into it it's uh, it's a really well she's just a great guest so enjoy I am very pleased to welcome to the show now. Well, she's one of the nation's favourite broadcasters. We've been watching her on television for a very, very long time. Not to mention she's a super mum and a world champion in so many different things. It is the remarkable Helen Skelton. How are you doing, Helen? Hello, I'm all right, thank you. Well, yeah, I mean, I feel ten times taller for that introduction, so well, thanks very much. You are, I mean, you're a proper action woman. You know, you look at your, I mean, how many times they might as well just give you the Guinness Book of Records and say, there you go, Helen, you've earned it, it's yours. <laughs> and I haven't done one for a few years, which is a shame because it was always a great Christmas present for my mum. Like, if you're in it, you just give her one of them and you're like, there, you choose happy. <laughs> well, I mean, you did, you went on a real run, didn't you? You started, when was the first one? Was it like t- 2008, something like that? And it was just then every year uh, from then? Yeah, well, I mean, I was really lucky because when I was on Blue Peter, it was, yeah, I mean, it still is. It was just such a show that had such great connections and great reach. And, and you know, you say, you think big. 
And you say, I'm going to do a run. And then in the office, we go, actually, why not do one of the hardest runs in the world that no one's ever done before? So it was kind of just a sign of the ambition of the show and the kind of stage of life I was in, really. So sometimes I feel a bit bad when I'm, when people go, oh, you've got all these world records. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but it weren't, they weren't just mine. You know, it was the team. We used to come up with all this. I mean, crikey, I've got a world record in um, pancake tossing and <laughs> mattress human mattress dominoes and stuff so it's not as if I'm like an Olympic athlete but yeah we just had really good fun doing things that kids got excited about and and if you could get a world record or get in the Guinness Book of Records then it was an extra sort of feather in the cap really. Yeah well I mean those are the funny kind of flippant ones that are a bit jokey and fun you know the dominoes and the pancake tossing and so on but don't take anything away from yourself you know ultra marathons, (laughs) kayaking the Amazon, tight roping between the Battersea Power Station I mean these are not to mention the South Pole, bike skis, kite, the Magnificent Seven, your boxing which was crazy in 2018 I mean you know you're a bit of an action woman to be fair aren't you well yeah I do like a challenge and I kind of I think I was lucky that I did a lot of jobs before I started doing any of that stuff so I'm always a bit like you never know how long it's going to last you've got to take every opportunity as it comes along and I'm a big believer in you know you get out of life what you put in so when I got asked to do the boxing you know I got paired up with this national boxing coach, Phil Sellers. He's an absolute legend in Leeds. And I thought, I've got to do it properly. You know, it would be disrespectful to not take it seriously and not go all in. So so that's kind of the approach that I've always had with any of those things, really. I'm doing a golfing at the minute and I've never played golf, but I'm like, right, if someone's going to take this time out of their schedule to teach me to play golf, then I really need to do it properly. So, yeah, not quite as hardcore as boxing or cycling to the South Pole, but, you know, you I think if we've learned anything in 2020, it's what I've long suspected, that you really do have to make the most of opportunities as they come along and just give it your all. It doesn't matter if you fail, at least you've tried. Absolutely. Where's this attitude kind of come from, Helen? Is, have you been like this since you were little? Because you're brought up, if I'm not wrong, you were brought up on a dairy farm, weren't you? Yeah, and I'm, so I've got an older brother who's ridiculously talented at everything and very, very humble. So I always say we're like the polar opposite. He's talented and humble. I'm sort of gobby and have a go. <laughs> so he's like, when, I think when you're brought up in that environment and, you know, my mum's got a big family and our house is always full of like boisy, outdoorsy people. And I think when you're the youngest and the smallest and a girl, you've kind of got to scrap quite hard to, to stay involved. You know, my brothers have all these mates around playing football and they only let me play with them if I could you know, take a ball to the face or Ooh. if I could bowl a, bowl a cricket ball over arm and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I think I've probably got to give my brother a lot more credit for my, for my approach to things. He's the reason why you've stepped up so many times, is he? That's, uh, that's a really nice touch, actually. I mean, can I, can I ask you, because I, I was thinking about this earlier on, kind of thinking about chatting to you, and, and we've had kind of quite similar careers. I mean, yours is a lot more lofty and all the rest of it, but we started on kids and then we had to transition out because people don't realise that actually once you're a kids' TV presenter, you kind of think to yourself, okay, how do I, how do I keep going as a career? Because I'm getting older, the kids are moving on, but... I need to move into grown-up telly because I'm far too old to be doing this, you know? Well, I don't think you're ever too old to be doing kids' telly because I think people... Sometimes kids' telly gets a bad press. I remember I started in Newsround. That was what I was... was in a newsroom and did all kinds of, like, serious and intense, like, local radio things, like, you know, some big stories, and then went to Newsround. And I remember I used to go... You'd get sent out to a flood or, 
to a disaster or some car case or whatever. And you have to cover the same story that the six o'clock news and the 10 o'clock news are doing, but you have to frame it in a language and explain it in a way that six-year-olds understand it and are not scared. So I remember like having some kind of, not that it was a real wake-up moment for me once. I remember standing next to a six o'clock news correspondent. He was basically saying it was more important that he fed his story back before me. And I really held my ground because I said, first of all, we're on air first. And second of all, what's more important than telling the next generation that story? Like you can use the big words and you know that an adult can put this in context. Whereas I've got two of those challenges, you haven't. And so I think sometimes kids TV doesn't get the credit it deserves. And, you know, I always get very passionate about Blue Peter because, again, that's another one that people go, what's even a Blue Peter send? You can't do anything else. That show exists to excite and inspire kids about the world. What's not a massive, you know, that's such a massive responsibility that I don't think anyone should should kind of ever downplay really. But yeah, I know what you mean. It's the custard pies in the face and dressing up as a massive worm that you sort of think you can't really be doing that when you, well, you can do it. It's just, yeah. Whether you want to be laughed with, not at, don't you? That's it. That's it. Yeah. I mean, you you had less time with puppets than I did, so maybe there was a, <laughs> maybe it was a bit of that. But interestingly, we both sort of transitioned from kids into sport before the next kind of thing. So you know, like I I got into Sky Sports doing football and stuff, and and you were doing the the swimming and the Olympics, etc. And you know, it just it seems to be one of the ways that the audience, the public, kind of accept you as the next on the next stage. Do you know what I mean? like for me it was never like oh I will do this to do that like I genuinely and people never believe me when I say this I've never had a career plan and that might come back and bite me in the backside one day but I've never been you know like when people say oh what's your ultimate goal I'm like I my ultimate goal is to keep enjoying what I'm doing and being grateful for the opportunities that I get and I think the minute that you start thinking right in a year I should do this and a year I should do that I mean god some people do not agree with this approach at all, obviously. But for me, if I start saying, right, in a year I'm going to do sport and then a year after that I'm going to do a documentary and then a year after that I'm going to do that, I think you forget to enjoy the chapter that you're in. Right. And my family are sports mad. You know, I was, I've been brought up on sport. I was in sport before I was in kids. And so for me, just the opportunity came along. BT Sports set up. They didn't have anyone to do women's football I watch a lot of women's football anyway, so it was kind of, it was, oh, actually, I need a job and they need a person, rather than, okay, this is the thing that will get me to the next thing. Right, understood. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and it's basically about enjoying the moment, isn't it? Oh, 100%. I mean, I was so lucky to go to the Olympics, but yeah, you, you're right, so many people said, oh, did you do this to get that and do this to get that? Like, no, I went to the Olympics because I love sport. I have a massive respect for swimmers in particular and I you know it was my job to watch the Olympics what's better than that absolutely absolutely no it's extremely cool Helen Uh, can can I ask you what it was like because we've obviously touched on your incredible kind of athletic prowess and your achievements and these remarkable things that you've done including of course the mattress domino stuff which is which is great (laughs) which is right up there yeah (laughs) yeah which is right up there but you know you did you know there's a timeline isn't there if it was a if it were a CV there was something massive that you achieved alongside your career, you know, one of these big, big events from 20, 2008, you know, and, and it was sort of almost every year you knew Helen's going to do something incredible, <laughs> unthinkable this year. And then you obviously had some, some stop time. 
I'm assuming it was largely connected to becoming a mum and being married and, and moving to France, etc. What was it like? And I'm and I mean this sort of delicately. I'm not I'm not sort of trying to put any. You can't offend me, don't worry. <laughs> well, no. Well, what was it like effectively? You know, becoming a, a sort of a, a one of a two rather than because all your achievements were were phenomenal things that you had to work so hard and, and I know there was teams around you but it was your achievement and then suddenly you stopped doing them because you're you've moved abroad for a for a partner who who's got an amazing job that he has to take of course but you you gave up quite a lot to do that in in at least it, that's how it looks well but I didn't I, I gained a lot I mean I moved to the south of France and lived opposite the beach like it was five steps from my front door to the Mediterranean Sea and ten steps through the way to a vineyard. So I think <laughs> it wasn't such a tough time for me. I, I think, um, I know what you mean. I think that's what any woman faces when they have, and uh, all the dads will go, me too. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not anti-daddy. Like, I'm so lucky that my husband's a very hands-on dad. But I think when you're a woman and you have kids, it's hard because you have to sort of step back from the identity that you had. And I noticed it a lot more when I had my second son and I had two so I had a baby and then moved to France and then had my second out there and I think when you have your first one I mean I was taking my first with me to the Olympics you know yes I was living in France but I still went and covered the world championships yeah. and I'd go to things with him and then when you have two you can't really do that because it's too much you know you can take one kid that people think that's cute you rock up with two kids and people just think you're massively unprofessional <laughs> so I think yeah I actually think it was harder it was more of a gear change for me when I had my second son because I was like, oh, okay, this is a massive mindset change and, like, actually every decision I do and every time slot in my day has to be dedicated to them because that's just the stage of life I'm in. I don't think I don't think I gave anything up. I think that's just the eternal wrestle that any working parent has, I think, is you kind of have to put a pin in the bits that you were doing for a while and, and put someone else first so that's my that's my choice anyway no. and I mean I'm, I'm lucky because I still do I'm telling you dipping and out so I'm really busy for a few weeks and then I kind of get a quiet few weeks so you still get time to to do you know interesting projects it's just a different chapter of life yes yes and you're, you're absolutely right and 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 you're I'm, I'm keen you pointed out the the thing about dads as well because I'm a, I'm a dad and you know I can speak from from that which is when my when I had just one I took a job that was about six weeks away and it nearly killed me you know I was I was yes. so I mean grieving not being with my with my son and then obviously having a second I was offered something that was again quite a long time away and I, I had to decline it because I just I knew that I couldn't and I know that sounds pathetic because you're supposed to be a provider and so on and so forth but I, I just wanted to find a different way to provide then rather than take the job that takes me away for such a long time it just wasn't just wasn't something that I wanted to go through and so many of my friends who are in their 30s with kids say to me oh am I less ambitious than they used to be because of exactly what you've just said and I was like, no, you're not less ambitious. It's just you have different priorities. Like when you're in your 20s and before you have kids, your career is your priority and you can give every bit of yourself to that. But when you do have a family, it, your priorities shift a bit. And that's not a bad thing. Like, you know, someone said to me once recently, I said, oh, God, you know, being a parent, just because it, sometimes it's hard being a parent doesn't mean you don't like it. <laughs> it doesn't mean 
sometimes it's a challenge. Yes, yes. Although I'll tell you one thing, Helen, I have spoken to a few people that are, you know, a little bit older than, than you and I. We're close in age and, and our kids are close in age. And um, the people that are about 10 years on that have got the teenagers, right? They're, they're, they kind of say to me, oh, you'll be taking those long jobs again now, definitely. When you yeah. when your kids get to our age, you'll be, you'll be asking for those longer jobs. <laughs> it's uh, go for it now. Have the nice time now while they're cuddling and lovely and gorgeous. And then when they get grumpy and body odory and, you know, slamming <laughs> the bedroom doors, that's when you want to take the time out and, uh, and take the long gigs. So it's more, I would say we're more in a sort of slow pause. Would you agree? Yeah, no, I, just <laughs> I think that makes it sound bad. Like, I think if I learned anything living in France, and this is why it was so good completely stepping away from, like, life as I, as I knew it, is they just got, like, they prioritise differently, particularly where we were in the south of France. They they have two hours for lunch. They live and work a bit. You know, they have a completely different approach. And I think, for me, that was something I really wanted to keep when we came back. Like, don't feel don't feel guilty about doing stuff with your kids and for your family. Like, I just think, I don't know, sometimes we put too much pressure on ourselves, particularly in this industry, because we're in an industry where people go, oh, what's next? Right. And you go, we should be able to go, oh, actually having a nice time with my kids, thanks. Yes. Yes, absolutely. But I suppose part of that, Helen, is because, you know, in this industry, it is job to job. You know, plenty of people, they'll get a job and that will be their job for life. You know, that's what yeah, yeah. they do. Do you see what I mean? Whereas you and I yeah. will take, oh, OK, we'll do this show and we'll host that. And that's a six month contract and that's a three year thing. And that's a six episode thing or whatever it might be. You know, w- the very nature of our careers is we chop and change because that's kind of how it works. I quite like that though. You never have a chance yeah. to get bored. Yes. Yeah, but it's you also... Never, you never have a chance to get upset with your colleagues and you never get dragged into the office politics. That's what I like. Yeah. <laughs> I, I sort of think of myself as a super sub. Like you sit, you dip in, you do your gig and then you go... Yeah, that makes sense. I like that. I like that. But it does come with a certain, you know, there's a certain mentality you need to have, isn't there? Because obviously... Oh, yeah you know, you know that that's going to end and then something else has to come in and you then meet a new crew and a new environment and so on. So you do need to have a, a certain resilience, I think. Oh, God, yeah, you've got to be all right with no sick pay and no pension oh. <laughs> and no guaranteed employment. That's it, that's it. Those those are the big things. Life would be dull. Life would be dull. <laughs> have you ever... I've never taken a sick day. I've always been afraid of, of like, if I even if I'm on death's door... I've always been like... You're not allowed in yeah. our industry. I once was filming and got a piece of metal in my eye oh my and gosh. they sent somebody else on the crew to be in the queue at A&E. Wow. And, and then when that person got near to the front of the queue, then I swapped in. <laughs> That's brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant. I was once uh, hosting something in Poland and I had food poisoning. And in between oh. the advert breaks, they had a bucket up on our stage. Yeah. We were, and I was throwing up in the, whenever we went to yeah. adverts, I would throw my lungs up and then come back on, sta- on screen as if nothing was wrong. I was like, yeah, and, and the back. Be- oh. yeah. The best thing about our world as well is people would just be like, yeah, well done, Seth. Like, like you wouldn't get any praise for that. I'd be like, <laughs> of course. It. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you nearly missed your cue then. Or did I? Right, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> you look a bit sweaty. <laughs> Yes, and then the trolls have a go. Little do they know, there's a literally bucket full of sick or a or a, or a piece of metal in the eye. Yeah, 
Oh, we suffer for our eyes. Such a torrid time we have, isn't it? I wouldn't change it for the world. It's great fun. It's great fun. Um, well, look, let's talk about the new one. That, well, I say the new one. That it, it's back this week on the farm. It's back Thursday, eight o'clock, Channel Five. And I mean, you might as well keep it on brand, straight in with an outbreak of something for the birds. Oh yes, I know. Well, obviously everybody's on lockdown, and then uh, just before, I'm trying to think of the timeline, but. When we were filming the last one, which was into Christmas, obviously this sort of outbreak of avian flu, the news was starting to filter through. And, and so Rob and Dave, whose farm it is, were like, oh, God, we're going to have to get the chickens all in because normally they run uh, free around the farm. But obviously avian flu means they all have to be taken inside. Um, so, yeah, they had to round up the chickens. But obviously in classic Rob and Dave, it wasn't very straightforward. <laughs> and it all became a bit ridiculous, which is exactly why we love them. I love it. It's absolutely it's a, it's a it's a kind of joyful show, isn't it? And and to be honest, that's sort of what we need right now, Helen. Don't you think we just anything that we're watching? And I mean, I'm personally quite over the news, so I'm going to anything that just kind of gives my spirits a little bit of lift. And you, if you tell me we've got some pregnant alpacas, I'm there. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it, and I think that's why the show Touchwood has done well, and hopefully, why it continues to do well. I mean, last year we started to make six episodes. And I think by the time we'll have clocked 12 months, this will have made like 25 or 28. So um, the reason it's kept rolling is because people really sort of got behind it and got into it. And it's just timed so well. Like it's, this is feel good. It's farming. It's escapism. It's a bit of fun. It's a bit of cheeky banter, you know, and hopefully it puts a smile on people's faces. And I think it resonates with people because it is about British farmers, British produce and the pandemic and Brexit. Yes. All of those things have kind of triggered a bit of an interest for people in British produce and British growers. Yes, absolutely. And it's, you know, the backdrop is different now, which which makes it... I don't know if you've been watching, for example, Grand Designs. I, I really love Grand Designs. And the recent series... Love that show, yeah. You know, in every single episode, Kevin kind of says, and of course, then... March 2020 happened and this is what happened on the building site and you 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 kind of live through it with them you're so connected to it you know sometimes pre-pandemic you'd watch that show and you just think oh you've run out of money or oh there's a baby coming along or oh these two aren't getting on or whatever oh they're self-builders they must be crazy or whatever it might be you know but now because we've all lived through the pandemic we're all like Oh, gosh, yes, yes, no, I can completely get where they're coming from because that was very strange. And it's the same, I think, with farming because there's not just the pandemic, which we're all acutely aware of, but obviously one of the big things that's been a change for Brexit is we're aware that British farmers have had a a different time of it. And so I think that increases... And we need them. Yes, We need them. You know, like, we have an island, after all, and, you know, everybody's increasingly aware of the climate crisis, everybody's increasingly aware of what might happen to imports and should we be importing, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think actually this is a chance to celebrate something like British growers. I mean, there is very few things that you cannot get in this country. I mean, there's even a farmer down in Sussex, I think he is. He's growing a version of wasabi. Like oh, there's, cool. there's nothing you can't get here. And, and I think that, that this was just a chance for us to kind of have a bit of a celebration, a bit of acknowledgement for the hard work that people are doing. And I mean, in the first lockdown, we did a lot of stories where there were people who should have been in offices or should have been in the city and actually gone to help pick carrots and so on and so forth. 
because they were, you know, repurposing their time. So yeah. it was kind of a chance to, to acknowledge all of them as well. And I think this just came along at the right time. And I keep saying it, but people want a bit of a laugh. Yeah. You know, they want to, but we, they want a bit of a laugh, but they also want to stay informed. And hopefully this does that. Absolutely. It does it in spades. It's a, it's just a lovely show. And it's and it looks like it's fun to make as well, Helen. Oh, it's so much fun. I mean, it is so much fun. It's, it is very, obviously we're outside the whole time. And the only reason that we've been able to film so much this year is because we are outside and we can socially distance. And it, we filmed one of the runs through the night so that the farm could be open in the day to the public and we would stay away from them at night. So, yeah, yeah. It is graft, but it's it's fun. And part of the reason it takes so long is because we just end up laughing ridiculously so many times. Brilliant. There was a ridiculous story in the papers where it was sort of saying, I was apologising for an outburst. And my mum was like, what have you done? I was like, no, not an outburst of anger, like an outburst of the giggles. Like, <laughs> I, we do, you know what I mean? We're talking about procrastinating pigs, for crying out loud. How yeah. can you not... <laughs> Yes. You know, and Gary the Lothario donkey and Pony Hadley. And like you say, these alpacas are spitting at us and Emma the cow's <laughs> mooing in the background. And so, yeah, I mean, it's every bit of ridiculous. <laughs> it sounds so much fun, though. I mean, what, what what more could you ask for? You know, having the giggles on a film set, great. I mean, that's, that's day-made, isn't it? Uh, Helen, it seems kind of strange to ask this now, but how has lockdown been for you and yours? Has it, has it been... All right, because, you know, everyone's had their own tales of challenges and issues, but generally, overall, have you been okay? Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I think if this job gives me anything, it's a, it's a massive connection to people. I'm oh, sorry, that's my husband just throwing a teaspoon down, making me a coffee. Now <laughs> <laughs> he's cooking cups at me. Um, yeah, I think if this... Sorry, I'll start again. How would I... Because I'm always wary to wind because there's people in a lot worse situation. And I think I'm very lucky at the job I do make them makes me connected to people so I know people are having a very tough time so I could never complain you know I've got kids that are small enough to not realise what they're missing you know they're not asking me to go to see their girlfriends or the cinema they've got a big garden so I'm lucky in that sense and I've been still able to work so I'm grateful in that sense and yes I would love to be able to see my parents my parents are still on the farm in Cumbria so it's been really tough I mean I've got a nephew who's over one now and I've seen him a handful of times and that breaks my heart um, and yeah I, I get so I, I get so jealous of people who like just go and have a coffee at their mum's or go and meet their mum for a walk because I'm like god I wish I could do that but they're little things in the bigger picture you know I can't complain when we think about the, the loss and the challenge that people have had this year my heart breaks for, for what people have been through but hopefully we are coming out the other side of it Yes, absolutely. But you shouldn't feel bad for having your own, uh, you know, reaction to it, Helen, because, you know, as you say, everybody goes through their own stuff. But, you know, I'm with you. I miss my parents desperately, desperately. It's it's really, you know, if if that's the hardest thing you're going through, then OK, it's not too hard. But nonetheless, it still sucks. You know, nobody signed up to not seeing their family for a year, etc. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's... And it's just this whole notion of, if you had said to us, like, two years ago, oh, the government are going to say when you can and cannot go out for a meal. The government are going to say when you can and cannot see your family. You just would never have believed it. Like you would think it was some sort of utopian film script, wouldn't you? Right. And I'm not. I'm not in any way knocking the government at all. I, I think, crikey, who would want to be a politician in this time? Not me, thanks. Um, yeah, I just 
I think I'm always a glass is half full kind of person. And I'm so, so glad that some people were cleverer than me at school and stuck in at science. And we've got all of these fabulous vaccines on the way. And how brilliant is it that the world's first vaccine is British? Yes. Super cool. We'll have, Super we'll cool. have that, the world. We <laughs> will have that. <laughs> yeah, no, that is and, cool. And we're doing so well at getting it out. Like, there's the number of people that have been vaccinated. It's insane. And I think unless you're in that kind of sciencey numbers, data crunching world, you probably don't realise how good the UK is doing at getting that out. Yes, it's our, well, it's our NHS is so good, isn't it? And it's, you know, when we need to step up, I think we've got the people and the and the kind of skill set to be able to do so. I, I still look at New Zealand with envious eyes, though. You know, I still see them all kind of having a lovely time, just going, oh, yeah, I'm happy for you, but I'm also so jealous, you know? <laughs> Oh, no, we've got family in Australia and, and my dad's got really good friends in New Zealand and it's less than his phone the other day and he's like, oh, we've got a case. And my dad was like, yeah, <laughs> we've got a, few, got a few hundred thousand cases, mate. Yeah, yeah, trump that. <laughs> there we go. Oh, anyway. I know. Oh, well, you know, keep on keeping on, Helen, I guess. I, I mean, you say you don't sort of plan ahead too much. Is there sort of 2021, is there sort of something on the horizon that you're allowed to talk about or, or are you just seeing what blows in? Uh, hopefully more of on the farm but again that just it depends what's great about it is if people watch it they make it so uh, yeah hopefully we'll have another run of that but time will tell and um, hopefully uh, everything's so up in the air at the minute I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd love to give you more of a clue, but I don't literally don't have a clue. <laughs> Maybe a holiday at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah that'd be nice. <laughs> Absolutely. Helen, it's an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed our chat. Thank you so much for your candour and, and, and great company. It's, uh, you're so fun and joyful to watch on screen, and I can now say the same to talk to. Thank you very much. Oh, bless you. Thank you. Well, we should talk to you. You stay safe and look after yourself in these crazy times. You betcha. You betcha. Look after yourself, Ellen. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much. That was lovely. Andy J Podcast. Now it's time for Anna Richardson, and if you've been waiting for that promised story about naked attraction, you don't need to worry. You can. Well, it's it's that moment. Before we get straight into Naked Attraction, Anna has some very important stuff I think that people might very well be needing to hear just now about what we're going through and how to cope and how to deal with it. And as I said at the beginning, what an intelligent and thoughtful woman. She's incredible. So here we go. Here is Anna Richardson with a fascinating conversation with some very funny moments. Yeah. Um, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm okay. I'm sorry. I've got to be honest, I'm finding this, this lockdown quite tricky, I yeah. think, along with, with, with many, many other, other people in the nation. Yeah, I'm bored and I'm a bit lonely and I'm just a bit sort of like, ugh. So, yeah, a li- li- little bit crap, but how are you? You know, similar to you, although with the added sort of um, challenges, complications, etc., of homeschooling, you know, oh my God. all that jazz. So there's, yes, bored, frustrated, wondering how long this is going to go on for, and shattered, actually, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you must be, because if you're working and homeschooling, yeah. then that, that really is a nightmare. I, I feel for you. I mean, in a sense, I guess I'm lucky because I haven't got, got kids. But at the same time, the flip side of that is not having children yeah. is also quite, quite lonely. Yes. So it's, 
you know, it, it, it's sort of, I think both sides of the coin are kind of equally as bad, aren't they? It's the hugs trade-off, isn't it? Like, I, I feel yeah. loved and I get hugs and I, and I get leapt on at 5.45 every morning. But similarly, I get leapt on at 5.45 every morning. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> so it's sort of... Yeah, how lovely. Yeah, and also exhausting. <laughs> yes, it is. But I guess remember that you know that that's, that's finite. You know that, you know, soon, sooner or later the kids are going to grow up a bit and go to school and, you know, you're not going to get let on at five. It's going to be more like eight. And, you know, I, I think there's a trade-off, isn't there? Whereas I think if, if you're if you're on your own and you haven't got a family, you know, for, for me that really resonates. I'm a bit like, mm, maybe it's time to think about, you know, having kids yeah. because otherwise it can just be utter misery, I think. Yes, that's a very good point. I had, do you know what? I had a really fascinating conversation that I think you'd probably have loved. I'm making assumptions on what you're into here, Anna, by the way, um, with Rod Gilbert yeah. yesterday, uh, who has just done a documentary oh, yeah. about, about infertility, male infertility. And he's 52, and we had this really deep, fascinating chat about his challenges with, you know, the realisation of... of sperm count levels and all this kind of stuff yeah and also yeah. you know being 52 and thinking am i now too old to be a dad or you know and i asked him about adopting and all kinds of things it was really interesting to hear his take on it you know i think i saw that trailed because i seem to remember coming across something where he was talking about you know it, it, testicles and fertility mm -hmm. and what could affect it so i must have just sort of skimmed across that so what's he thinking of doing because if he's 52 is he then thinking of sort of adopting or fostering yeah yeah they, they are definitely exploring that opportunity there because they were one of the things for them is they were having fertility treatment and of course as soon oh, as the God. first lockdown happened it everything all fertility treatments just stopped so regardless of how far down the line you are with the process with eggs and all the rest of it it they just got stopped so it's knocked them back. God, that's air, devastating, you know? isn't yeah. it? That really yeah. is devastating. It's a real one to kind of, it was quite humbling to hear it, actually, because, you know, I think everyone feels they've got a rough ride, but then you hear someone else's story and you're like, actually, yeah, you know, I should shut up. I'm all right. You know? I think, you know what? I, I'm, I'm glad you said that because that, that filters all the way down, doesn't it? From sort of, you know, people with big families at the very top who are having a rough ride because you're homeschooling and you're busy and, you know, blah, 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 blah and it's expensive. But then you filter all the way down to, you know, people who are in one bedroom flats alone with mental health issues who are really struggling. So, yeah, we, we've all got our cross to bear. But I think it's it's worth just for some of us remembering that there's, there's somebody that that's a lot worse off, mm. and there but there but for the grace of God, really, I think. Yes, absolutely. Now, I I must say I, I do count my blessings regularly, and and I'm often given wake up calls when you find out about people. As you say, it's you know I've got a friend who literally has, a, a, you know, a, a house share. So he's literally like, well, my day is I get up, I go to the kitchen for breakfast, then I go back to my bedroom where I work yeah. and get out my laptop. I was like, yeah, horrific. Yeah, horrific. I know it, it brings it sharply into focus, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I just think that the bottom line is everybody is now just desperate for this this lockdown to just end mm. because you know I think whereas last March it was a bit of a novelty and everybody's a bit like, oh my god, what's going on? And you know, we really, really stayed in. Now people are just going, I, I just can't do this anymore. You know, the economy is, is pancaking, it's flatlining. People are struggling with the mental health. You know, it, it's it's no surprise really that people are sort of nipping out all the time to go and get a coffee or just go for their walk or whatever it is because we're just being driven mad. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's absolutely crazy. <sighs> are you a bit of a personal one, Anna? And, and by all means, just tell me to shut up. Yeah. You've mentioned, you know, feeling lonely, etc. Do 
do you live with Sue? Is that you guys together in that sense? No, or? no, no. So, so at, at the moment, I'm self-isolating up in Staffordshire oh. um, just because I've got uh, par- elderly parents who are struggling. So I live I live next door to my mum. Oh, wow. Um, so I'm up here at, at, at the moment um, with my dog, uh, isolating here. Although I am allowed to travel for work, thank goodness. Yes. But other than that, no, I'm in my cottage on my own. And I've got to tell you, I am finding it difficult. And I'm somebody that knows a lot about mental health. I've got a really robust toolkit at my disposal of techniques and tools that I can use to try and make myself feel better. So, you know, I feel very blessed and privileged that I do understand how I can improve my mental health. And I'm struggling. I'm struggling. So, you know, I cannot imagine how it must be for other people who are also isolated and on their own and who perhaps aren't aren't quite as robust or or don't have the techniques to hand. Well, absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, I I think that... Sorry, go on. No, no, no. Well, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, you've got the toolbox. Of course, you're co-founder of of Mindbox, which, you know, deals exactly with this sort of thing. It's an online therapy centre, isn't it, for stress and anxiety and, and exactly the things that I would imagine a huge percentage of the population are discovering perhaps for the first time as a result of the lockdowns. Absolutely. So we know that anecdotally um, people are struggling far more with their mental health. We know that very, very sadly uh, suicide is is also on on the increase. We know that that people are reaching out more, saying that they are, are absolutely struggling with stress and anxiety and the uncertainty of what's going on in life. So more than ever, I mean, people talk about, we know that COVID-19 is, is, is a global pandemic. Well, the next epidemic, and it's happening now, is a mental health crisis. And we know that there aren't sufficient facilities out there for for people to access uh, mental health support. We, I, I know that the government are absolutely trying and they're pouring more money into charities, they're pouring more money into the NHS, but, but it's, it's still woeful when it comes to being able to sort of access you know, uh, good mental health resources, because ultimately, you know, people need to be able to regularly talk to a therapist or they need to know what techniques are out there that they can do themselves from the comfort of their own home to try and manage their stress and anxiety. Um, There are plenty of things that we can do. It's just a matter of, of finding them. But it's out there, and Mindbox certainly is is a resource that that people can use because we've got a library of different audio downloads and video downloads that are proven therapeutic techniques to help people to manage their their anxiety and their stress, particularly during this difficult time. And, in fact, I've just got to put in there that that we've given access to Mindbox for free to all students in the UK at the moment because that has just been... A nightmare. If you think about going to university for the first time when when we went off to uni, you know, making new friends, being in a city that you probably don't know. Imagine doing that in lockdown when you're stuck with people that you might not necessarily like and you're doing all your Zoom lectures, you know, online every day. They have really struggled. So we've said, look, you know, use our resources for, for, for free. So, yeah, yeah, just just to put that out there, that no, it's I think available. That's great. I think that's a great thing, Anna. And, and actually, I keep sort of thinking about if this was, say, 10, 15 years earlier, in a way, and this is going to sound, bear with me on this, because it's going to sound a little harsh to start with, but I'm, I have a, a bigger point that I think is worth making, which is that I am relieved. I, I, I hate thinking about the nation going through 
sort of really troubled times with mental health. I think we all suffer at the moment. But mm. uh, but at least now, unlike perhaps 10, 15 years ago, at least mental health is now an acknowledged thing, something that people do talk about, something that people are much more receptive to, whereas I think there was a, a more closed-up attitude, from f- at least in the UK, towards mental health, say, 15 years ago. So at least now people oh. are able to say, do you know what, this is an unprecedented circumstance, but I now know that what's going on is a normal thing and it's a cool thing to share with people. It's, un, you know, it's okay to do that because people will listen to me now. A hundred percent. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad you've pointed that out because, yeah, 15 years ago, a, a decade ago even, it would have been a stigma and there was shame attached to it. And you would have been embarrassed to say, oh, by the way, I need to go now because I've got, a, I've got an appointment with my psychotherapist or whatever it happens to be. Whereas these days, and this is, this is absolutely something that, that we're trying to do as well, certainly at Mindbox and all of my colleagues, is we're trying to say, look, there's no shame attached to saying you feel low. In fact, it's quite cool to be able to share your feelings and go, you know, I'm struggling right now. The minute you can remove that stigma, the minute you can remove that shame, that's half the burden gone because then at least you're able to talk about it freely. So, yeah, bring it on. The fact that, you know, as a nation, we should be more open about taking care of our mental health as well as our physical health. Yes, absolutely. Talk to friends, talk to strangers, just seek help if you need it because it's now a very, very widely accessible thing is, you know, from the basics like the Samaritans to, like you say, the, the, the more sort of specifically mental health organisations like your own mind box. It's, it's, I think it's really yeah. important to, to get involved and, you know, just Absolutely. reach out. There, there, there really are a lot of free resources out there now. And, you know, the, the first port of call, if anybody is struggling, then go to their GP and just talk to them because the NHS has got a lot of free talking therapy um, available at the moment. And if anybody's in crisis, then as you rightly pointed out, absolutely go to the Samaritans. And also there, there's sh- you know organisations like Shout and Mind. There's lots of different uh, um, resources available now for anybody that might be struggling or who's just simply lonely. Yeah, absolutely. What a thoughtful thing to say, Anna, and, and how kind of you to share that, you know, you're not having the easiest time of it either. Because uh, when you're in, a, in the public eye like you are, sometimes you're supposed to be, you know, untouchable, aren't you? So for you to be open like that, I think is, is a really class touch. Thank you. Yeah, well, that, that, that's, 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 you know, not at all. I mean, it's, I think it's really important to, to be honest. And, you know, I've, I've certainly, I've really noticed it this time around that the first two lockdowns I was quite jolly. And now, you know, here we are a year later. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. And like you, we work in broadcasting. And I'm used to being around people. I'm used to having a purpose. I'm used to having, you know, jumping out of bed with a spring in my step, thinking, yeah, I'm filming today and I'm going to have fun. And suddenly those sort of endless long days of not really having a purpose, not really having a job on, you know, not being around family, not having children, you know, very, very difficult. Mm. So I, I do understand what a lot of other people are going through. Yes, yes, absolutely. Rough old, rough old time. Do you know what, Anna, I, I thought we were just going to be chatting willies and bums, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, light and shade, light and shade. But I'm more than happy to talk about willies and bums. I'm more than happy to talk about naked attraction. It's my <laughs> favourite show ever. Well, I think that's the case with many, many, many people and they're not in the room. You know, it's a glorious watch. <laughs> I mean, it's... I can remember when I first heard about the concept, I thought, no, that's not real. That can't be true. And then I watched the first episode and I was just like, wow, 
Well, I and I and as a as a fellow presenter, I did think to myself, "How are you doing this? You are yeah. amazingly good yeah. at just keeping it together and not staring." I know, not not completely <laughs> losing it. Do you know what? Funnily enough, when it was first pitched to me as an idea, my initial reaction was, "You have got to be out of your mind." <laughs> you know, there is a. But actually, we really interrogated interrogated the the format. And because I come from production, I come from format creation, actually. So I really do understand what makes good television yes. and, you know, what, what, is, what, 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 is, what is good and what is going to be sleazy. And once we'd interrogated why we were doing this show and the fact that actually in no way is it titillating, it's, it's the least sexy thing you could ever see on TV. Once we'd kind of like got to the bottom of this is about inclu- inclusivity, it is about acceptance, then I knew that this is something that I wanted to get behind and I knew that it was going to be a really big hit as well, which it has been. Oh, massive. Absolutely huge hit. And it's and people watch for so many different reasons. I think you tune in firsthand, maybe, and excuse me if I'm speaking as a bloke here, so I do apologise if, <laughs> if I'm bringing that baggage to the table, but maybe the first time you watch the show, you watch maybe for comparison purposes, if you know what I mean, just to, just yeah. to see, you know, and then as soon as you get over that and realise actually there's much more to this show, you know, it's a visual feast and bizarre and exotic and hilarious and curious, but it's more the, the kind of process behind the decision making and the psychology behind it. And, and also every time I watch it, I always think, gosh, who would, who would volunteer to be in that though? I mean, yeah. Wow. I, I know. Do you know what? You're absolutely spot on because this is a weirdly, weirdly multifaceted show, isn't it? Because yeah. as you say, to begin with, you just think, oh, for goodness sake, it's just boobs and boobs and balls, isn't it? That's all it's about. <laughs> and actually, no, it isn't. No. It isn't. It isn't just about that sort of titillation and laughing. I mean, yes, it's entertainment. Yes, there's a play along. Yes, it's funny, isn't it, to sort of see people with their spots and, you know, all the rest of it. And we, we always laugh at, at our own bodies and other people's bodies. But actually, once you get below the surface, you start going, huh, actually, there's a psychology to this. And this is exposing people's vulnerabilities. And actually, you know, the, 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 the bottom line of this show, it's about acceptance. It's about normality. It's about people standing there in their birthday suits wow. with their spots and their stretch marks and their whatever going, listen, I deserve to be loved. I'm comfortable in my own skin and I want you to be comfortable with me. And you know what? That's, that, that, that's worth a million. It really oh, is. Absolutely. That's why I love it. Absolutely. I mean, I'm also acutely aware now of just how many people in the, in the UK are, are heavily pierced as well. I mean, there's a, there's a fair bit of that going on. I know, but also, where have all the pubes gone? It's kind of like, you know, we used to have pubic hair. What happened to the pubic hair? So it's, it's, it's sort of, that's what throws me every time, is that sort of 90%, probably more, you know, 99% of people that come on to Naked Attraction, regardless of age as well, have, you know, they are really waxing and shaving every single area. So that that has been quite uh, an eye-opener for me because I like to trim. <laughs> I like to trim, but I don't take everything off. 
and it seems to be, and I think it it must come from pornography, yeah. that the idea that you need to now remove all of your body hair in order to be seen to be attractive or sexy. Um, and that goes for the older generation as well. So it's, it's been a surprise, I have to say. Yes, absolutely. I do have to, we will of course move on from naked attraction, but I do have one <laughs> very curious point that I, that I need to ask you, which is how warm or cold are the studios? Out of curiosity. That, it's so funny that you say that because lots of people ask me that. Well, you can guess. The boys always want the studio to be warm. A little bit warmer. And they are <laughs> a little bit warmer, please. And they're always doing that sort of crafty tug. Crafty tug behind the uh, behind the, the pods because they, they want their manhood to look at its very best. Absolutely. Whereas the, completely, of course, completely fair enough. Yep. Oh, yep, yep. So they're always fiddling and touching. So all the girls are always on production, always having to go, look, you know, boy in the red pod, just just leave it alone, just leave it alone. <laughs> Whereas the girls want the studio to be freezing yeah. because, of course, they want their boobs to look at their very, very best. So there's always a kind of, you know, fight between the boys and the girls over the temperature controls in the studio. Has there ever been a, a, a moment of overexcitement visually that, that obviously can't make the cut? Yes, we we did have uh, a couple of seasons ago, there was a young man who I think might have been in the pink pod and he was getting a little bit excited about what was about to happen. So um, our lovely floor manager, Dave, the floor manager, had to, to come on and uh, just ex- escort him off yeah, the floor for, yeah. for, for a little while just to calm down. <laughs> and then he was brought, brought back onto set. Well... Yeah, that would be the big worry, it, wouldn't it? <laughs> it all it all happens. It all happens. I know. I, I think that we have had a couple of occasions where, you know, boys being boys, you, you can't control your anatomy, can you? So, you know, that there's, there's been a little bit of excitement. Oh, it's it's such a such a cracking show. And I, and I sincerely hope that it continues for a very, very long time to come. Yes, yeah, me too. Me too. Thank you, Andy. It's a, it's a tonic. It really is a hell of a boon. Now, Anna, I, I know that we need to talk about the thing that I'm allowed to talk to you about. I know we've waffled and I probably shouldn't have done it. Shouldn't have gone straight into business, shouldn't I? But, you know, it's just it's a rare opportunity to chat to you. So, Anna, you, you've been working with Smarty Mobile, I believe. Now, this is really, really interesting. So, Smarty Mobile, who, just in case your listeners don't know, they are the network for uh, cost-conscious consumers, shall we say. They've okay. just in- initiated a piece of research looking at whether we've become a nation of savers or spenders over lockdown. Oh, and the wow. results, yes, the results are fascinating. So it turns out that over the last year, whereas we used to be a nation of, you know, wanton spenders, we've now actually become very, very clever savers. And a couple of these statistics, I think, are going to slightly blow your mind. But 70% of the nation claim to have been able to save money. And 69% of Brits have saved up to, hold on to your hat here, 10 grand. No way. Over the past, yeah, over the pandemic. Wow. Now look, it's, I know, it's really, really important to say, I'm just going to put a caveat in here, which is, listen, the, the lockdown has been terrible for everybody. Let's yes. face it. Yes. Everybody is struggling. However, the people who've been furloughed, people who are continuing to work, they are able to save money. And I think that that's the bracket that we're talking about here. The people that have saved up to 10 grand are the people that are, that are still able to work. However, even if you're not working, even if you haven't had help from the government, you are still able to save. And there's some extraordinary stats 
that have come out from this bit of research that Smarty has done. So the number one top spot of where we have been able to save money is in eating out. So people are saving around £80 a month on not eating out. Uh, They're also saving around £42 a month on not spending on lunch in the office. Uh, And, of course, not commuting. £50 a month not commuting. So this really stacks up. All of these small amounts per month really stacks up to a few grand a year. So it's fascinating. And, of course, holidays as well, Anna. I mean, nobody's... We shouldn't be getting on planes right now. Most people can't. So... Yeah. There's, I mean, that's obviously, especially for a, for a family of four or five or whatever, that's going to be a, a sizable saving as well. Mind you, I'm impressed with the nation because my self-restraint, where I may have saved on not going on holiday or having, you know, dinner in a restaurant, I've certainly spent on chocolate. Oh, I know. Well, look, we can get into the whole sort of dieting and alcohol thing, can't we? Because I think the nation's become obese, obviously, over the last 12 months. But I'm with, I am with you on that. I've thrown a lot of my cash yeah. on drinking Prosecco and basically scoffing <laughs> a load of chocolate every night. Makes so me I feel get good. That. What can I do? I know, Ch- you're, chocolate you're, orange. Yep. I'll have another one. Yes, please. Yes, please. So I, I, I feel your pain on that, that certainly we're staying in, we are eating takeaways. Yes, we're drinking more. You know, and that's partly to do with boredom and partly to do with loneliness. But in terms of actually being able to save money, what's come out of this research is the fact that actually our attitude now to spending money has changed and our habits have changed. So it looks as though... Uh, from, from the results of, of, of this, of this uh, piece of research, that 82% of people are now saying that once we come out of lockdown, they are going to continue to be savvier oh, with their finances and how they spend money. But more than that, we've been reflecting on our values. So we're now sitting at home and thinking, well, hang on a minute, whereas I used to sort of blow money on that takeaway coffee twice a day or, you know, nipping out with my mates to the pub, you know, in the evening, hmm, I'm now back in the black in my bank account. Actually, I want to spend money on something that's that's meaningful. So people are saying that they want to spend, you know, on, on bigger items, like maybe doing that extension to their kitchen or maybe redoing their kids' bedrooms or indeed going on that, you know, world holiday with the family that's actually going to make a difference and be something that they can remember rather than just sort of frittering away the cash just because we've got it. And also, I think this is a really important point, our attitude as well to brands has changed. So what consumers are now saying, 77% of people actually are saying, they want transparency and honesty from brands when they're shopping. They want to know that they're getting the best deal out of brands and supermarkets, as well as flexibility with contracts. I think it's really important to say that. We felt so uncertain over this lockdown that people are going, hang on a minute, I don't want to get tied in to anything long term. I I need the flexibility. So our attitude all around to money has has really changed. That's really interesting because, of course, we are all acutely aware of how quickly circumstances can change with no one's fault you know it's just suddenly something happened and it happened to all of us and so you're absolutely right especially with things like contract length etc you might be making a few quid right now but something might happen in the world that stops you making that and suddenly well hang on if you've got three-year deal or something you don't want that so yes it makes a lot of sense and and actually i'm so encouraged by those statistics overall anna you know it, it sounds wholly positive really whilst we think about 
yes, a, a lot of us are having a rough time mentally, as you and I have discussed, but at least there are some some pluses to take out of this, which is that a large percentage of the nation are being more savvy with their cash and thinking more carefully about these things. I think that's great. Well, and, and also because you said that you've got kids and, and we were discussing as well about how difficult it is for, for university students as well right now. We know that the mental health for, for students is absolutely tanked. But here's a lovely silver lining that, that's come out of lockdown, that 26% of people aged between 18 to 24 say that they've used their lockdown savings to put towards a deposit on a new home. Oh, wow. And exactly. So if, if you think about a year ago, it was all over the news about how that generation below us are really struggling to get on the housing ladder. Well, here we are now a year later with a quarter of those young people going, actually, I've managed to save enough money to be able to put down on my first home, which is, I, I think is, is, is something to celebrate. That's great. Anna, you've, you've actually given me a real lift, I must say, hearing that genuinely, I mean, I know it's, it's daft, isn't it? But I think everyone has thought more about others over this last sort of 12 months or so. I think everyone has thought, not just people you know, but, but the nation, you know, the rest of the world. I hope that's the case anyway. Certainly I've been concerned for everyone. So to hear that there are some genuine, happy and positive outcomes from this is is refreshing and, and yeah, that's that's great. It is, and we, we all need that lift. We all need that lift. And I, I have to say, it's been such a joy to speak to you as well today because, you know, you, you've given me that, that little bit of sort of spark and enthusiasm as well. And it's so great to be able to talk about all of these topics with somebody else with enthusiasm and positivity. And I think that we all just need that, that little smile that's there on the horizon. So I thank you as well. Oh, bless you, Anna. It's, it really has. It's been such a pleasure. I, I'm chuffed to bits. Can you? Is there a way we can find out more about this study and, and anywhere online we could visit it or anything? Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. If, if people are, are interested to see how they can save money and this uh, this new research that Smarty have done, then just nip over to smarty.co.uk and that is S-M-A-R-T-Y. Brilliant. Not like the sweet the other one not like the sweet more's the pity more's the pity but no (laughs) just smarty.co.uk that's the one yeah that's the one excellent excellent anna what a joy thank you very much for your company it really it's been a fabulous rambling fun chat actually (laughs) (laughs) it's taken us down some tangents do you know what i love the fact we've had a rambly chat and you know next time let it be over a beer on a lovely hot summer's afternoon oh that would be wonderful i'd really love that anna and genuinely it's been such a such a special chat lots of love take care Bye, bye, bye. Andy J podcast. There we go. That's your Andy J podcast for another week. Thank you very much for your company. Thank you for listening this long. I know a lot of people kind of cut off podcasts at the end because there's nothing else to hear. But I do have something else for you, actually. And it's because I've been telling you a little bit recently about our sister podcast, The Driven Chat podcast, which is an automotive skewing pod. And I just thought it would be nice to play you a little bit of it because I'd love you to check it out. If you're into your cars, it's definitely a show for you. If you're just kind of on the on the edges, then what I can tell you is we talk to lots of very interesting celebrities with a heavy automotive lean. So why not give it a whirl? Here's a little clip from the Driven Chat podcast. I don't know if you're familiar, Andy, with the design of this car. It is the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. It's not... 
it's got nothing on looks, has it? Oh but then, my I mean, we goodness. were sort of saying this about what are BMW doing to the faces right now. I just don't get the BMW style. Like we said the other week about what's going on with their PR department, what's happened to their design? Yeah. What are they doing, John? It, it, do you know, it's funny. I, I'm not too appalled by the big grills on the M4, uh, the new M4, the new M3. I, I can kind of live with it. Once, when you see it in, in the flesh or in the metal, it does kind of make sense. It doesn't photograph well, I will give you that. But it's kind of in proportion with the rest of the car. If you look at the front end of the car, the big grills do kind of fit in. But in the photos, I admit, when I first saw them, I was like, oh, God. But this iX thing, the grills are so big and the car is so small. It looks like, it looks like something somebody has made for a joke. All the proportions are really weird. The side windows are enormous and the doors look really short. Um, the rear arches is just kind of like haunched, but I don't know why. It doesn't really make any sense. I, I cannot work out any of the design cues on this car at all. And I know that I'm not alone in that uh, in that thought train because I just I, I can't imagine anyone anyone walking into a BMW dealer and going, "Oh, that's pretty. I'll buy that one, please." Like it's just horrific. It's horrible. I'm sensing I'm sensing a video coming along. <laughs> 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 Amy in a Citroen Amy and John spending three months in a BMW yuck. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll take a yuck, please. It's bizarre, isn't it? Because you know it's going to be good. It's like the Cullinan, the, the Rolls-Royce Cullinan. You know that's going to be a good car, but my God, I could never drive one. I could, oh, no way. Not without a paper bag over my head or, oh, it's just bizarre. But yeah. I mean, the, isn't that what isn't that what Chris Harris actually he did? did? Yeah, he, he did. Bag on his yeah, head. and Rolls Royce were livid. <laughs> they genuinely now were. Now there's a surprise. Yeah, no, but I mean, come on, it's just. I mean, clearly there's got to be some some sort of design board and committee that it goes through. And and at no point did anyone go, oh, it is actually a bit horrible, isn't it? This it's yeah. I I, I urge you now, if you if you have if you're able to do so, obviously not if you're driving along, but. If you're at home and you're you have a phone in your hand or an iPad or something nearby where you can just Google image, just search the BMW iX. Have a look at the back of it. It's so ugly. The lights are enormous. The rear screen's massive, but it's not massive because it's kind of cut out the actual bit that you look through. It's got weird blue accents all over. It's bizarre. It's like a team of ten-year-olds have designed a car and it's somehow gone through to production. It's bizarre. Rubbish. There's a lot of strong I was, words. I always like it when. It's always good when John Markar holds back. That's a, that's a <laughs> the Driven Chat podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Okay, that's your AJ pod for the week. Thank you so much for your company. Have a good week. Be kind. Be nice. Go forwards with a smile. And I'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.